Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Uh, this morning, my, uh, my task is to kind of give us an overview of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the, uh, uh, the kingdom manifesto that Jesus gives to his church, to his kingdom, to his followers. As disciples of Christ, uh, we must recognize this teaching of Jesus, this paramount teaching, this vital teaching. All Christian doctrine rises from this lesson this important lesson that Jesus gives. And so we need to make sure that our minds go back to this sermon on the mount, to these words of Jesus Christ, the very word of God, as he leads us into a life uh, which is different from the lives that we have led in the past, uh, different from the, the lives that we see lived in the world. Uh, it, it is a separation, this lesson. It, it teaches us that there should be a separation from the old life of sin to a new life uh, in righteousness. And as you read through the text there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you'll, you'll see that word righteousness over and over again in most versions. And, and too often, uh, maybe in our vernacular, we think of righteousness as, as maybe a derogatory thing. But we think of someone being self-righteous. But that's not at all what Jesus is using it for here He's helping us to understand that those who are pure in heart, those who seek after him and want to be more like him as he's called us to be, uh, that we will do right. We will choose what is right and we will recognize what is right because it is what Jesus would do if he were here. The Beatitudes, as we're going to read first, uh, as we jump into this lesson, these Beatitudes... You know, before they describe the people who follow Jesus, they centrally teach us about Jesus. These words that we're about to read, this is Jesus. This is Jesus jumping off the page of your Bible to you, showing you who he truly is so that you can then emulate his spirit, his, his thought process, his desire for his people. Read with me, Matthew 5, verse 1. One day, as he saw crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Do you notice that? In many versions, it says, the poor in spirit. And, and what we need to hear when we hear that is those who realize their need for him. Poor in spirit means I realize that in and of myself, I can't save myself that I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior for us. He humbled himself. He took on human flesh, the eternal God. He humbled himself to show us the way, and he calls us to be humble now and to recognize who we are and what we are and what we desperately need. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn. They will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble. They will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. They will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. They will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, 
they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven, it is theirs. This describes a faithful Christian, does it not? These eight blessed characteristics, they provide a mental picture of the process through which God leads every believer as we experience new life in Christ. This is the process by which you find sanctification. This is the process by which you will recognize righteousness and righteous behavior for the rest of your time in the flesh. And let's dive in now, and, and like I said, this is kind of a, a 30,000-foot view of the Sermon on the Mount. Steve's going to focus in on, on more specific teachings through the next few weeks of lessons. Uh, but this morning, let's take a look at this great sermon. First, consider what Jesus teaches us about our relationships in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. And then he says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We're called to be salt and light. Now, in ancient times, uh, remember, salt is more of a preservative than a flavoring. So when uh, people's lives are falling apart, when things are deteriorating in society, when things aren't going as, as they should, and, and things don't seem to fit anymore, when confusion seems to reign, Christians are a preservative. Christians are to be salt that preserves society, that, that holds up the others in our society, that, that helps people see what is real, that calls them back to a foundation. And of course, that foundation is Jesus Christ himself. When people's lives are falling apart, most people move out. But Jesus says that Christians will move in. That, that Christians will be a part, that Christians will see the need, and that they will step into the need and meet the need, finding a way to serve others, teaching others. Listen, you need to take the next step with Jesus, no matter what that next step might be, that you walk with him, walk in the light, that you learn to walk as Jesus walked. In Galatians 6 and verse 9, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to tell us, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a blessing of harvest, a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Keep going. Keep persevering through whatever it is that the world might throw at you. You keep going because you are salt. You are light. And if the light's not turned on, how's anyone going to see? If it's all dark, how, how are we going to find our way? Jesus, of course, is the way. He's the truth, he's the life, and he is the one to whom we point everyone else. Not only does he address our relationship to the world, he, he addresses our relationship to individuals there in verses 21 through 26 of Matthew 5. He, he tells us some, some deep things here. He says, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Notice in verse 23, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. And then come, offer your sacrifice to God. This teaching from Christ, this is, this is radical. This is revolutionary because what he's saying is, listen, God has you. He knows you. He loves you. And he wants you to be right. He wants you to have a right relationship with each other. He says it's more important that you would go and make things right with another person rather than bowing 
at the throne of God. He says, I want you to go and love someone. I want you to go and, and serve someone with forgiveness. Or go to them and, and confess that they might serve you with forgiveness. That the two of you then can come and offer to God worship. Worship that's acceptable because it's free of any animosity towards one of God's children. He says anger is just like murder. He says if murder's wrong, the seeds that grow into murder are wrong. And so he's saying, listen, I want you to treat other people as infinitely precious. Treat everybody as if they are infinitely precious. Every single soul. Every person is an image bearer of God. They were created in the image of God that they might bring glory to his name. And so how are you going to help them share that glory? How are you going to help them see that if you're angry with them? If you're holding a grudge against them, if you're unable to get over this anger that's tripping you up, no matter their status, no matter the, the poverty, no matter the sinfulness even in their lives, says, I want you to see them as precious children of God. Romans 5 and verse 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Let's never forget from where we've come. In Ephesians 2.10, he tells us that we're God's masterpiece. We're God's masterpiece, but so are they. They're God's masterpiece. And God also has a plan for them. And there's good things for them to accomplish in this world. And so let's not stand in the way. Let's make sure that, that we go to them and we serve them and that we bring them closer to God and never push them further away. Our relationships are very important to our Savior, and he wants us to make that a priority in everything that we do as Christians. Secondly, he calls us to Christian integrity. Christian integrity. The first thing that he addresses when he's talking about integrity as Christians is sexual integrity. Do you notice that? He wants us to, to make sure our minds are focused on what is holy and what is right rather than going the way of culture. There in verse 27, he says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in, her in his heart. If your eye, he says, then even if your good eye causes you to lust, you should gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Hey, here's this, this idea that Jesus is giving to you and to me. Another revolutionary thought. He says, listen, there is more life to be lived than the life that you're going to live in the flesh. In fact, the life that you're going to live in the flesh is, is but a moment. It's, it's just a, a moment in, in this vast eternity in which you will live. And the way that you choose to live in this moment of life, whether you get 70, 80, 90, 100 years, however many years you spend in the flesh, it's so short compared to eternity. And he says, I don't want you to focus on that, that little piece of life that you have in the flesh, but rather to focus your life on eternity. Don't be so focused on here and now. Focus your minds and, and have a heavenly perspective of the way that you're going to live. You see, when he calls us to sexual integrity, God is saying, I want your mind and your body to be in sync. I want you to actually uh, conform your actions. I want your body to follow along with where your mind has come. Because your mind is centered on the cross. Because your mind has taken on the thoughts of Jesus Christ. And those thoughts should transform the way that you behave. They should change your actions. You don't give your body to someone who you aren't willing to give your whole life to. 
Safe sex for marriage. That's God's plan for us. That's what he has called us to. From the very beginning of creation, the order of things, God has said, listen, I want you to be married. Genesis 2, 24. It says that the man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Marriage. Marriage, this, this wonderful, blessed arrangement, this covenant relationship that God has blessed us with that not only brings joy to our lives, but it, it touches so much more. And it gives so much more, not only to our lives, but to the lives of whom we might influence. In 1 Corinthians 6, he tells us, don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that a man who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. And so he says in verse 18, run from sexual sin. He says all the other sins that might be committed, they're committed outside the body. But this one's against your own body. So don't do it. Don't go there. Make sure that you have sexual integrity in your life as a follower of Christ. Don't be physically naked and vulnerable unless first you have become personally naked and vulnerable with that person by giving them yourself, saying, I'm dedicating myself to you. I want to be the one who delivers you to the feet of God. I want to be the one who, who nurtures your relationship with Christ and builds you up so that together we stand before his, his throne in glory, so that together we enter into eternity with all the love that we've built in this life. He wants us to have sexual integrity. He also wants us to have speech integrity. Starting in verse 33, he tells us how we must not break our vows. He says, don't even make vows. Don't, don't swear by heaven or, or by Jerusalem. He says, listen, let your yes be yes and your no, no beyond anything. Anything beyond this is, is from the evil one. He says, listen, keep it simple, guys. Keep your speech simple. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And with everything that you say, the truth must be there. It must be truth. Everything you say must absolutely be truthful. If the intent in your heart is to deceive someone with your words, it is sin. So don't do it. Don't allow your words to deceive. Don't allow your words to mislead. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, the Holy Spirit says, if you want to enjoy life, if you want to see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. Work for it. Maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayers. The Lord, open your prayers. Have you been speaking truth? Remember, Jesus said it's the truth that sets us free. Let's make sure that our words have integrity and that we speak truth. Third, third in this amazing and wonderful sermon, Jesus teaches us how to respond others. He teaches us how, how a Christian must respond in this world. But what is the Christian's response to hostility? When hostility comes our way, when, when things are not going well for us personally, how does a Christian respond? Verse 38 of Matthew 5. You've heard the law says punishment must match to injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. 
Now, I think that there's some confusion on what's actually being said here, and I'd like to just really make sure that we understand this, okay? In many places of the world, I know not here and definitely not during the pandemic, but what you'll see is people kiss each other on, on each cheek. Have you seen that before? People will, will, will kiss people on the, on the cheeks. Well, I've been to different foreign countries, and it happens, and it's awkward, but it happens, you know? And you stick your hand out, and you get kissed, and you're like, okay. And, uh, <clears throat> and usually what I do is make the kiss sound, you know? kind of do like that, and uh, <clears throat> it's weird, but this is what happens, and this is what was happening in their culture. A kiss on the cheek was a greeting of, to, to someone who you love, to someone who you appreciate, to someone uh, to whom you give honor, <clears throat> and what Jesus is teaching here is not if they slap you, slap you on one cheek, turn and let them slap the other cheek. That's not necessarily the, the teaching here. The teaching is that when someone does you wrong, when someone is hostile towards you, when someone hurts you, when they slap you, you tell the truth. You tell the truth that that hurt, that it was wrong, and that this is how things should be handled to make things right. And you do it in such a way that that person, that that person realizes the wrong. And then they want to kiss you on the cheek. And then they want to greet you from then on. From then on, whenever they see you, they don't think of the wrong that they did to you. Instead, they remember how you lovingly, lovingly, and with mercy, Forgave them. Forgave them the hostility that they had caused towards you. That you go with them with so much love, such care. You win them over. And now they kiss you in response to your grace and your mercy. Why? Because you were given grace and mercy. Colossians 3, 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Oh, how difficult this is for us. These teachings, they're, they're not easy. They're simple to understand. We can see it. We can, we can understand it to some extent. But it is so difficult to lovingly correct someone, to correct someone in such a way that it doesn't turn into a shouting match. To go to someone and say, this hurt, and this is why, and I, I, I want to be like my Savior Jesus, and so I'm coming to you with a broken heart that wants to restore this relationship or that wants to build a new relationship on the foundation of Jesus and of his teaching of how we respond to hostility. He also teaches us how we should respond to those who are less fortunate, to those who are poor. And this is the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. You will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. But when you give to someone in need, just a moment here, notice that it is an understood thing, that Jesus expects anyone who follows him to be giving to those in need, that this is just part of what a Christian does, part of our natural habit is to find those who are in need and meet that need. Whatever that need may be, this is what Jesus expects from us. And it's so natural. He says, when you're doing those good deeds, right? When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue in the streets, calling attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward and it's all they'll ever get. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. He says, you don't have to toot your own horn. 
You don't have to do that. You don't have to make sure that someone knows. In fact, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. He said, listen, this is just between you and God. And that soul who he loves, that image bearer who you're serving, that person in need, meet the need. Meet the need. Don't just meet the need, though. Speak to them about your Savior. Make sure they know why you are here to meet their need. Make sure that that always points back to Jesus Christ, never pointing to you. One of my, one of my best friends, Butch Drake, he, he prays for me. He prayed for me uh, this morning, every time uh, before I speak, and, and he prays with me. He says, Lord, hide him behind the cross. What a prayer. Oh, what a prayer for, for someone who's going to proclaim the Word of God. But what even a prayer for each one of us when we walk out of these doors today. Hide us behind the cross, Lord. Hide us behind the cross so that when others see the things that are being done that are righteous and that are good, that they don't see me and they don't see you, but they see Jesus. And that they know Jesus because of what you've done. Because you've served them in his name. Not in your name, not in the name of some club or, or, or some other organization. Know that you've, you've served them in the name of Jesus Christ. What's your response to the poor? Do you see them as absolute equals? Because that's what he's calling us to do. To, to remember that we were poor. We were sinners when Christ came to save us. When Christ stepped into our place. And so let's make sure that, that we see others who are spiritually poor, those who are physically poor, that we step in, just like Jesus did for us, and we serve them as absolute equals. Don't give in a condescending, proud, and self-congratulating way. Instead, give out of compassion. 1 John three seventeen. if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? How can God's love be there? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself is saying, I'm not, I'm not there. When you're not ready and willing and looking for ways to help someone less fortunate, he says, I'm not there. How can God be there? He says, I'm not. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? When we take on the mind of Christ and we seek out those who are in need, when we strive to meet the needs that others have, isn't he saying, I'm there? And he's saying, I'm leading, and I'm helping, and I'm showing you the way. Luke 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Are you giving? Are you looking for ways to give to the poor, to those who are less fortunate around you? Are you seeking a way to serve them in the love of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> how we respond to the poor is important to Christ. But you know what else is important is our response in prayer. Prayer. Your prayer is a litmus test of where our heart truly is and, and what we are really focused on. Wherever your mind goes in your private time, whatever is first on your heart, don't you realize it's your first God? It's the one who you're actually serving. If you're, if you're not spending time with God, how can you claim to have a relationship with him. Matthew 6 and verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they'll ever get. Notice verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. He wants us to pray. He wants us to not just 
pray, but to pray with a purpose, to pray for our enemies, to love others, and to serve them. We need to ask ourselves where our heart truly is. In Ephesians 5, in verse 5, he says, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. A greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So what do you think of in your private time? What consumes your thoughts? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish this? What is it that's consuming your thoughts? I want to encourage you to take on the, the mind of Christ and say, you know what? God's got this. I'm going to look for a way to help somebody else. And what you'll find is when you go serve someone else, those concerns, those worries, those things that you're thinking of instead of serving someone else, God meets those needs. God comes through. God makes sure that you're taken care of when you have given yourself to him, when you pray, when you're praying for others, and when you're serving them in prayer. <clears throat> What's your treasure? What is your treasure? And really, this comes to our last point, the Christian attitudes. The Christian attitudes, as, as we find them in Matthew 6 and chapter 7, We'll start in verse 19. Where is your treasure? He says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your, your treasures in heaven where there are no moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. He says, you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved the money. But what's our attitude toward money? Is that our treasure? And, and when, do you, when do you spend money most effortlessly? Isn't this a good question to ask? Where is it easiest to spend money? Radical generosity is a sign that your heart is moving towards God. And if you are not finding yourself to be radically giving, radically generous, and how is God going to see that? Jesus gave everything. He gave everything for you and for me. He gave it so that now we can be stewards of all that he's given us, that we might give it to someone also. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. <laughs> so after a statement like that, God himself, he says, listen, the end of the world is coming soon. So you expect something pretty big to happen next, right? You'd expect there to be a very important statement about the end of the world. The end of the world, it's coming soon, right? Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Prayers. The, the prayers of a righteous person avail so much. And the end is coming so are you praying? He says, listen, your relationship to your father, to the one who gave you life, and that building on that relationship by communicating with him, by listening to him, but then speaking back to him, it's going to help you with your attitude, your attitude that must be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What about our attitude, attitude toward circumstances? toward the, the, the circumstances of this life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where, where our neighbors aren't necessarily looking to be the most blessed. Uh, they're not looking to, to live up to the Beatitudes. And sometimes it's hard to deal with them. And, and we need to learn to have the attitude of Christ in all circumstances. There in Matthew 6 and verse 25, 
says, this is why I'm telling you, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Another reminder that this short time in the flesh, it's just, it's just a moment compared to the eternity that you're going to spend in one destination or another. Where is your treasure? How do you approach these circumstances? Don't be anxious. In fact, instead he says, verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He says tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Let's make sure that we are concentrated on doing what is right today. Don't be anxious. Love and trust God so much that you don't worry in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. He cares about you. Inordinate, painful worry, isn't it a sign of pride? Isn't it a sign of pride that somehow you know how your life should go and that God's not going to get it right? Stop worrying. Stop worrying and instead spend that energy serving someone else in his love. Last, our attitude toward people who are wrong. People who are wrong, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Anybody who happens to be wrong, I think. I don't think this is saying, hey, you get to pick and choose who you want to uh, apply these things to. No, it says anyone. Notice in verse 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged. You will not, uh, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. This is important teaching, isn't it? To recognize that we want to judge righteously. And so the only way that we can judge righteously is by the righteous word of God. To go back to the scriptures and allow the scriptures to make these judgments. We're not here to criticize each other. We're not here to criticize the world. We're here to help them see Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. But don't judge. Why worry about a speck in your, own, in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You're a hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. He says, I want you to do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. He says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets do unto others as you would have them do to you. And so when you look at people who are wrong, people who may have the wrong beliefs or the wrong political affiliation, the wrong attitudes, the wrong background, the wrong anything, the judge is to criticize without humility, without winsomeness, without the attitude that I want to win them to Christ. I want to show them the way of Jesus. And so somehow, even in this circumstance, even in this struggle, I want to show them the way of Jesus. James 5, 19, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Love covers a multitude of sin. Not your sin specifically, Love covers the sins of others because what it does is it helps them turn their life over to Christ and their sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. They come to Christ because you, because you chose to follow Him rather than the inclinations of your sinful heart. Jesus has described a life to us of joyful divestiture. 
He's he's described to us a life in which we're constantly shedding power. We're shedding wealth. We're, we're, We're giving away what we have to comfort other people for their sake. We used to sing a song when we were little, love is something if you give it away. Remember, love is something if you give it away, you end up having more. If you live like this, you'll be the light of the world. You'll stand out and others will be drawn to Jesus because ultimately the Sermon on the Mount is a description of Jesus Christ. It's a description of what he's calling us to become. I want to encourage you to, to check out YouTube uh, this afternoon, okay? Maybe, maybe during supper when everyone's around the table, table, someone bring it up on your phone and what you're going to look for is the landfill harmonic. It's an orchestra down in Paraguay, South America, In this little village, this little village was condemned by the government to be a landfill. In fact, they've allowed countries all over the world to send their trash to this little village. And so the people who live there, they live in these these little makeshift shanties all around the landfill. And their days are filled with searching for something in the trash of other people that they can somehow turn into a livelihood for their families. It's a pitiful situation. But there was a young man named Fabio Chavez, a professional musician. He went to this poor community, and he saw the slums around the huge landfill. He was horrified by the living conditions, and so he determined he had to do something. He was a musician, so the thing that he thought to do was to start a children's orchestra. And every instrument is made from the trash they find in the landfill. Did you notice the tagline? It's utterly inspirational. The world sends us garbage, and we send back music. Church, let's be more like that. The world might send you garbage. Others might give you their garbage. Others might treat you poorly. You turn it into music. The beautiful music of peace. The beautiful music of love. The beautiful music of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever the, gar- the garbage is that, that the world wants to put on you, you turn it into the beauty of Jesus Christ. Modern culture says, blessed are the proud. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Culture says, blessed are the pitiless. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Culture says, blessed are the devious. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Culture says, blessed are those who fight. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Culture says, blessed are the prosecutors. And Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. The church must learn to say with this landfill harmonic orchestra and with Jesus, send us your garbage and we'll send back beautiful music. We'll send back the beautiful love of our Savior. I want to encourage you, check it out. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Make sure that they know the love of Christ is well and strong in this world. We're ready and willing to serve. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.